Welcome to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast at episode 92 today. And my guest is the lovely Michelle Steiner, living in Pennsylvania, who lives with an invisible disability. She is a published author with articles in the Mighty Nonverbal Learning Project, Discalcula blog. We'll have to ask you about the pronunciation of that in a moment. The Reluctant Spoonie, Calopina Collective, Imagine the World as One Magazine and Word Gathering. She is also a fabulous photographer and her photographs are featured in Word Gathering and Independent and Work Ready. She works as a school paroeducator with students with disabilities. She is married and has two cats. Michelle, you are very welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sharon. I certainly appreciate it. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to speak with you. And I know you have lots to share with us, Michelle. So first of all, we will, you know, that big statement in the bio, you know, that Michelle lives with an invisible disability. Can you explain what your invisible disability is, Michelle? Sure. I have uh, what is I have a learning disability. I have dyscalculia or dyscalculia, <clears throat> excuse me, depending on how you pronounce it. And that affects my ability to do math and how numbers work. I also have visual perception issues, but that's not with my eyes. That's with my brain and how it perceives uh, information. And I also have limited hand dexterity, which affects my handwriting and my fine motor skills. Hmm. So quite a lot. And I know there's probably many parents listening to this. The children won't be listening to the podcast, but there's probably many parents. And that might have struck a chord with them, with their own child, you know, and maybe not being diagnosed with the proper learning disability. When you go back to you being a young child, was it hard to recognize, diagnose and I suppose not treat it, but um, were the teachers able to help you at school? Excuse me. Yes, they definitely were. I was very lucky. I got diagnosed whenever I was in kindergarten. Uh, I, they started to notice that I was having trouble with counting and with visual perception. And those were some of the main things they noticed. Uh, I can remember I would do uh, dot to dot worksheets and I thought, oh, I did this perfect. And I would get it turned back and it was completely wrong. And I think they could also see that I struggled socially. And part of that was uh, the learning disability. But another part of it was I was an only child for many years. So I didn't have siblings to, to interact with. Uh, my brother didn't come along until I was 13. So that made it difficult as well. So the teacher, even my uh, preschool teacher thought something was going on. But uh, that during that time, they didn't have the early intervention services that they do now. So my parents decided, okay, we'll send you to kindergarten. And it really, they, they could definitely see the struggle at a young age. And you as a young child, if you can, and it's not that far back, Michelle, but if you remember, you know, being in school, did you feel like you were different or were you made feel different? Just going back to those very early years when you were looking at your peers, we won't talk about teenagers yet because yeah. we're all different, <laughs> I think, as teenagers. But going back, you know, when you like that, you think you were doing really well. And then a teacher or a peer, even if it's a young child, look and say, you're doing that wrong. You know, was it kind of obvious at that stage to you that you were maybe a little bit different to the way you did things? Uh, yes, I could. I, I can remember that. I remember feeling really frustrated 
that was the main thing because I would, I wanted to learn like my peers. I wanted to make my teachers happy and I wanted to make my parents proud, even though they always were proud of me. Uh, I just wanted to be able to do well. And it just seemed like they were having an easy time with certain things. Uh, they could tie their shoes. They, they were able to uh, do math. And I, I just really struggled with a lot of it. And it was frustrating because I would get a test. I mean, because eventually uh, um, after receiving specialty instruction, I was in regular ed classes with having supports. And everybody knew that <laughs> I went to have a test read. Everybody knew that I had certain classes that I, I just couldn't get out of learning support for, such as math. But my parents would study. They would get the information, the study guides, and they would study with me. And it was it could be really frustrating, uh, but we would get somewhere. And then I would go and take the test, and I wouldn't do well on it. And that was really hard to put all that effort into a class and just still uh, not get a really good grade or um, you know, just or, or not even pass the class. And I can remember just being very young and frustrated. And I thought, oh, this is always going to be really hard for me. I'm never going to be able to learn. And that was that was difficult as a young child. Mm. Yeah, it's quite hard, isn't it? When you look back at your little self, Michelle, <laughs> and you think about as a child, you know, and we think of children just going into school, making new friends, uh -huh. you know, the encouragement for teachers. But that is if everything is going well and we fit in what we call the norm. But again, for other children, it makes me always think about children now in our society and in our education system. And that if they don't fit into the box, you know, they start to feel like they're different and I would say there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with being different I think we should mm -hmm. celebrate differences but that children want to be the same as their friends don't they and their peers and they want to please their teachers and their parents or their caregivers mm -hmm. and it, it for me it must be quite hard as a young child starting to realize there's something different about me and what do I do about it because we don't have the understanding Michelle do we on an emotional and mental level about those emotions we're feeling like you use the word frustrated mm -hmm. and if you see a child frustrated and you ask them what's wrong they can't express it no it's very hard to express what is uh going on uh, I was lucky that <laughs> uh, mine really did stick out though and that they could see that I was frustrated because a lot of times students might be able to go throughout school especially during that time period that, that I was in and they might have been, uh, if, they, if they could blend in, then sometimes people would do things for them or they could just kind of like, okay, they're just not really uh, good at something, but they could see the frustration on my face. They could see uh, uh, that it was really hard. In fact, they didn't want me to develop learned helplessness. That was another big thing too. I can remember, I think it was my first grade teacher or my first attempt at kindergarten, uh, one of the teachers put down, we have to encourage Michelle to, to, to do more things. And sometimes she's really surprised what what they whenever she does something right. And I thought to myself, yeah, I mean, I I guess that that was a really a good thing because they want they they could see there was an issue, and it they they were there to help, but they also wanted me to learn that I had to also do things for myself and to increase that independence with something. And I think another thing my parents also realized too was. They, they didn't um, sugarcoat a lot of stuff. I mean, they, they explained it in simple age appropriate terms. 
Uh, they told me I had a learning disability uh, and I learned differently. So it wasn't that they, they were trying to use euphemisms such as differently abled or handicapable or things like that. They, they got to what it was, um, um, you know, very straight up on what it was and explained it to me. And hearing that eventually did help because what I was hearing in school from my peers was, well, you're not very smart or you're, you could do this if you wanted to. That was, that came from some other adults in my life. And, but when I heard that from my parents, that gave me that validation. Okay, this is what's going on. And that, 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 that began to um, start the process of uh, helping me to accept it. Mm, that's really, really good. And mm -hmm. you were so blessed really that your parents were, so mm -hmm. encouraging and speaking to you, as you said, in an age appropriate way and saying that you learn differently, because I mm -hmm. think we all learn differently, you know, and we don't yeah. have to have an invisible disability, but that all children do learn disability. Yeah, but it's, it's again, it's changing, but it's like um, a lot of the children, they do the same work the same way. And I mm -hmm. think that we all learn differently. Some learn by listening, some by writing, you know, there's different ways that we learn so when were you diagnosed officially then, Michelle? I was diagnosed in kindergarten, so I had to be around five or six years old, somewhere in that time frame that they officially diagnosed me. Hmm. And I suppose, again, you were blessed to be diagnosed so young as well, because we hear a lot of adults now speaking about not being diagnosed with dyslexia or dyspraxia mm -hmm. or different things that later on in life that it wasn't recognized by parents or by teachers there was a saying here in Ireland and it was an awful saying. It was they were slow learners. You mm -hmm. know, I'm not sure if that was the term in the US, but I remember teachers saying it again without the awareness, you know, of different disabilities that there were, because now we have so much awareness. But that slow learning, that label stuck with children, didn't it, into adulthood? You definitely a lot of people weren't diagnosed um, during that time. It was it got uh, better as time progressed. But yes, some were considered slow learners. We have some that just I can remember going to school with that uh, didn't have necessarily a disability or they couldn't diagnose them with one, but they were struggling and they might have had um, other classes too, but not that official um, individual education plan that I had ever since I was young. And I've talked to adults that uh, were older than I was, and some of them might have said, oh, I think I could have been diagnosed with a learning disability. They didn't um, really do much with that diagnosing them. Like you said, Sharon, they called them slow learners or they, they just weren't considered bright. And I can also remember when I was first diagnosed with having a learning disability, it wasn't dyscalculia. Uh, we were just finding out about dyslexia. It was just an umbrella term to say that, okay, she learns differently. Her brain is wired uh, in different ways. And I didn't find out um, even that I had limited hand dexterity until I was an adult because we we just thought, okay, the reason I have really bad handwriting is just, okay, that's who you are. And it, it's pretty common with people that have learning disabilities. Um, mm -hmm. Some people have thought it, have viewed it as a character flaw, but I mean, we didn't start to realize, oh, there, there's some other reasons why mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm I'm dropping things or uh, just just struggling with uh, opening up locks and anything involved, uh, just using my hands. Mm, absolutely amazing. Is it um, uh, the word I want to use is, is it a new term, dyscalculia? 
I had never heard it until we connected. Is it something that, you know, they have been researching over time and then they've given it a label? I'm not 100% sure when the the original uh, term came out for that. Um, but I didn't hear about having an exact learning disability with dyscalculia or math until much later. And in fact, mm -hmm. it was really hard whenever I was a, a child because... I was in school and all my peers in learning support struggled with reading. So I never, I always wonder, well, how do I fit in with having a learning disability? Yeah. I mean, and that was hard to relate because the peers in learning support struggled more with reading. And then my regular red peers, well, they didn't want to have much to do with me. And they lumped me in with having uh, that. And even other people just automatically think, oh, dyslexia or, uh, any uh, whatever or ADHD, which I I don't have, but they'll they'll automatically associate that with learning disabilities or even conditions that that, that are um, commonly found with that. Yeah. So then moving on for you, going into bigger schools, you know, mm -hmm. and growing up, at, and it will come to the teenage because that is huge change for all of us anyway, as mm -hmm. we know, because we're going from that childhood kind of safety. We're, we're big in the small school and then we go into the big school and we're <laughs> small again and we're right. starting to <laughs> learn about ourselves and our peers are very important. There's a lot of peer pressure and mm -hmm. then obviously your education is getting harder and harder. How was that for you, Michelle? Well, it got easier for me uh, education-wise. I was able to be in uh, all regular ed classes except for math in a resource room. Uh, the support And I had supports. I had extended test time. I had um, somebody reading the test aloud to me. And those supports work. And I also had, I was in basic classes, even though I was really, I was good at reading. Uh, the only thing I struggled with was reading comprehension. Uh, and most of those classes were working out well. The English classes, I had really good grades. I struggled a little bit with science and with uh, the, the social studies classes. Those were difficult for me, but I was able to, to make it with supports. Uh, socially, it got a lot harder. I was not really... Uh, a lot of our peer groups became more defined and I just didn't really feel like I fit in with anybody and didn't have a lot of friends and the bullying really got worse. So that made it hard. Uh, socially, what I did to uh, make it was I started to uh, hang out with some friends that went to uh, a local uh, neighboring school district. They were involved with an art program. They had a newsletter and I was writing on it and I found other people that, that shared those same interests. And I found acceptance because I could shed this uh, layer of being that reputation of the outcast that, that haunted me since uh, kindergarten. And I did open up about my disability and I found acceptance with that. And I found there were some other people that had that and they're like, okay, we, we can relate to each other. And I don't see uh, those people today, but it encouraged me to reach out to other groups in the community. And I found a writing group and I'm still friends with people in that group. And I still go to the meetings uh, 20 years and counting later. So that gave me that encouragement. Um, as I said before, academically, it got easier, but then it started to get an added layer uh, as I um, was going to progress after high school. People didn't think with my math that I could 
uh, go to college. And I remember I had a learning support teacher that said, well, you know, with your math, I don't think you could do that. Why don't you go to a vocational training school that they offered? And that would have been fine, except they didn't have anything that interested me. So that, that became really hard. And I doubted what I could do too, because I was making honor roll. I was doing uh, well. I knew math was always going to be the, the big <laughs> uh, mm. struggle for me, but I wondered, okay, if we don't have these supports, how am I going to be able to handle that? And I can remember I had uh, a teacher that was a student teacher and told me, you can go to college. And I was like, well, I have a learning disability. How can I do this? And she said, well, there's people that have learning disabilities at my school. And I was like, wow, I never knew somebody that that had a learning disability that was at college. Most of the people I read about were men and they had dyslexia. And I was like, okay. And I got connected with an agency too uh, in the United States called Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. And we have money that's in our government that's set aside for people that have disabilities and that provides them uh, money for, to go to college uh, or a trade school. It provides them with uh, funds for if you need job assistance. Uh, it's it's a wonderful program. And they said, okay, well, maybe instead you can't, maybe um, it'd be better if you went to a community college because a lot of universities will look at how well you did because I didn't take SATs because I just didn't have, uh, I didn't think I would do well. I'm not a great test taker. So in a lot of ways, academically, it got easier, but socially it got harder as I uh, went into high school. Mm. Because it is a very tough time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, would you call it high school? We call it secondary school here. So okay. secondary school, <laughs> high school. Yeah, it's, um, it is very hard for people. How did that affect you emotionally and mentally within yourself? I think emotionally, it was really hard because I wondered what was wrong with me because nobody wanted to be my friend. And I thought, well, there must be something that, that is wrong with me. And I think that mentally that just that that really was tough until I started to meet other people that, yeah. OK, I have some acceptance. And it's it's interesting when I see people that I went to high school with. Uh, usually if you were I can only remember you have a real strong uh uh, knowledge of who you were or recollection if you were really nice to me or you were really mean and mm -hmm. I people that maybe I didn't give the chance to get to know because I was afraid of rejection or we would just weren't in the, the same classes I almost I'll, they'll talk to me and I'm like okay you must have been nice to me I'm sorry I I don't remember you is what I well I think that in my head I and uh, so that was hard, just being able to find my place, just mm -hmm. doubting myself. That was a big thing. Self-confidence was really hard at that age. Um, just that, that wanting that acceptance. And th those were the things I struggled with. Mm. And but what I loved, and you spoke about a few minutes ago, where you went out and you joined different groups, you know, mm -hmm. and one of the strengths, you know, because I say we have so many strengths, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of the time we focus on our weaknesses, if we want to call them. But mm -hmm. sometimes through our weaknesses, we find our strengths and your strengths were in your creativity and mm -hmm. learning to trust yourself and trust what you felt from other people. So, you know, these people were going to be good to me or these people weren't. So which way do I go? So you <laughs> went towards, you know, people that were accepting because you had the same interests. And we call it like finding our tribe, don't we? Finding people with the mm -hmm. same common interests. And I think 
for a lot of people that maybe have other difficulties in their life, that creativity gives us an avenue, Michelle, to explore, but also to show ourselves in a very different way that maybe we didn't get a chance to at school. Does that make sense? It definitely does. I can still remember I was a young child and I wrote a story about a dinosaur and I, my dad liked it and said, oh, this is a really good story. And that gave me that boost because I didn't think that I could do anything. Uh, I was just really frustrated on what I couldn't do. And I think I made books out of cardboard and I was always writing something. And that was really my way of, of expressing myself. And I can remember uh, when I, once I found that that was really uh, freeing for me because I could write and I could put down things that that, that I was feeling and I was thinking and uh, I can also remember a lot of times people would say well people that have learning disabilities are typically good at art and I couldn't draw very well and that was frustrating and yeah. later on in my life I found I could do photography and I'm like oh there's the visual thinking I can bring out uh, pieces. Uh, of a flower, you know, parts of a flower that that other people might miss and other details. And some of that can be done to, uh, partially that that's a strength of mine is I can't drive because of my visual perception, but I get a chance to notice other details when my husband's driving in the car, I'll be like, did you see that? And of course he's trying to focus on the road and, and I get to go and, and see some of those things. And then later I can walk back to those places if they're mm -hmm. locally when I, I don't have a ride or I'm just enjoying the day and a nice walk and I get to photograph that. Mm, I love that because we talk about our senses and obviously in my line of work, you know, I'm very much about mm -hmm. being mindful, you know, what you mm -hmm. see, what you hear, mm -hmm. what you taste, you know, what you smell. Mm -hmm. But I think we overlook, you know, when people say, you know, I have a learning disability or a visual impairment or, you know, and people, as I said, yeah. again, they focus on the lack of something. But I think it's like you, Michelle, it's to focus on how through, you know, again, the perceived weaknesses that your strengths come out. And the fact that you said, you know, the way you photograph things, you see it in a very different way than maybe a norm, a person going around with normal eyesight, if you like. Mm -hmm. So what would be your strongest senses for you? I think some of my strongest senses that I definitely have is I can be able to just see things that other people miss because sometimes when other ones are trying to go out um, and they're, they're concentrating on the road or safety, which definitely they should be, I get to pick up on other things. It's just that sometimes it's that attention. I've had people that have thought, oh, you don't pay much attention. Well, I'm looking at a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes intuition, I can feel a lot of times in a situation, I can kind of sense, okay, this is what's going on. And it's learning to trust that feeling sometimes and, and with people and it's just being able to be observant. I think that's, I, I can usually, if I'm uh, in the classroom with students, I can tell who's, you know, I can look it over there and they're like, how'd you find out I was on my phone or I was doing this? I'm like, well, I kind of <laughs> pick up on things. And what I had to learn how to do is I'm observant, but I have to learn sometimes how to be subtle so we don't create a big situation and we're able to take, take care of yeah. um, what's going on. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. So again, I would always say focus on those beautiful strengths, you know, because again, then it can be an yeah. example to your students and to people around you mm -hmm. that 
through, you know, the, I suppose we'll call it the hardship, you know, in growing up with a learning disability and feeling, first of all, mm -hmm. different and then being told you're different or people treating you differently. Yeah. <laughs> that you have to overcome so much mentally and emotionally and even physically. But again, did it make you value anything about yourself more when you were younger? Or is it just now in hindsight looking back? But was there anything when you were younger that you used to say to yourself, apart from I'm different? Was there anything in a positive way that you used to say to yourself about, you know, being different, but it was OK? I think a lot of it is, too, that I can look back on is that sometimes not being included in things created me to be a strong, independent person. So mm -hmm. I can go and have an, a lunch break with friends. And I love that. I love that social interaction. But I'm also I had to learn how to be content with sometimes just if for some reason somebody's not there, just sitting there with my lunch and having a nice book or my notebook open or my phone. And I think that's something that has given me that contentment. And I've also had to learn to go into, which is really important for my job now, is to go into situations and to do the right thing and to not have to have the approval of everybody. But you know you have to do, make the, the decisions at, what is right and to work with the staff to do that. And maybe sometimes we'll have students that aren't always happy or don't always like what we do, but just having that confidence that I can go in here and as long as I'm trying my best and doing the right thing, then that's okay. And that, that created that. And another thing that I can now look back on and through my, my life is it also created me to be a, a problem solver. I can remember being that frustrated kid and thinking, oh, there's no solution to it. Well, there is always a solution to it. It may not always be the choice we want, but just looking for ways to be able to uh, solve the problem. And I was able to do that a lot when I was uh, in college, trying to find the right program for me, trying to find the right accommodations that worked and just learning how to advocate. And even today, uh, if I have an issue with trying to figure something out or processing, I now don't think, oh, there's no solution. I now think, okay, how do we solve this problem? That is the best advice I have ever heard that you could <laughs> offer to anybody, Michelle. It really is powerful because we don't have to have any kind of a disability for all the points mm -hmm. you made. But again, if we come back to where you started from with your learning disability and feeling mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm different, I won't fit in, why do people not include me, that you used it as the foundation or a stepping stone in your own life to build yourself, build your confidence, build your ability mm -hmm. and what you were really good at. And in doing so, you developed your intuition, your creativity was flowing, you know, you knew and felt mm -hmm. who was right for you, who could encourage you. And you became an advocate for yourself in that independence. That is amazing, Michelle. All of that combined. Yeah. You sit here today and go, I am so proud of myself for everything I have achieved. Yes, definitely. And I know I couldn't have done that without the support of my family, uh, friends, and definitely the, the wonderful staff that I work with, uh, you know, today at a school and also the teachers that helped me as well. And just uh, having those support services, uh, I, I couldn't have done that all with, without all of that help. And it's so it is so important for people to encourage everybody. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it doesn't matter what age we are. It doesn't have to be in kindergarten or preschool. It's encouraging somebody that maybe feels like you. They may not know they have a learning disability. They may just be that Mm -hmm. person that doesn't learn in the same way. And that we as adults or friends or peers or family members to encourage and support them the best way we can. But again, it's when we have the awareness, isn't it, Michelle? And I think because you coming on here and speaking so beautifully about, you know, your learning disability is you're sharing that information so you can empower others to say, just because this has been diagnosed in my life doesn't mean that my life, I'm not going to have a great life and an independent life and that I can do so much more because you have done an immense amount of things with your life. Right. It's not that, Uh, Thank you. Yeah, because it's not that I can't do things. It's just it's more empowering for me to focus on what I can do and to be able to know what I want and to be able to find a way to do it. And there's always a way. (laughs) There is always a way. And that's the other thing I love is you is instead of always looking at the problems, it's looking at the solutions. So you people may say your mind works differently, but I would believe from hearing you speak and the things that you do that your mind works better your mind works really well because it is problem solving, finding the solution, going towards Mm -hmm. that creative flow, which opens up so much. Your senses are heightened. You know, I think a lot of people are stuck in their brains, you know, the logistic side and the logical Mm -hmm. side and the practical side, but they get stuck there. I call it the drawers of the logical (laughs) side and they're pulling out what they know, but the creative side is opening up new opportunities and new learning. And I always say, and even I spoke to a lady yesterday and I said, I'm an eternal student of life, that every day we're learning something new about the world and about ourselves, that not to get stuck in, this is just the way we do it, that there is so many avenues for people out there, isn't there, Michelle? There are definitely so many different ways that people can do that. And they can apply creative uh Uh, thinking to their lives. A lot of people will say, well, I'm not creative. Well, I I do think that everybody is, has that ounce of creativity and it just might be expressed in different ways. I might be able to use it through my writing or my photography, but there's other people that that have creative ways that they're able to solve uh, things that I, that I can't do, but they're able to do that and they can look for the solution and the different way. And it's just knowing sometimes what the resources are that, that are out there to help. Yeah. And it's looking outside of yourself, Mm -hmm. isn't it? It's looking outside of yourself and saying, I'm not just stuck here. And this is the way my life is going to be. It's like you going and finding those groups outside of, you know, your normal school environment and putting yourself and it is getting yourself out of that comfort zone that never really is comfortable and finding something. And it takes courage and bravery to do that. But for you, it was so worth it when you went towards people that were Mm -hmm. able to support you and encourage you and hold the space for you really isn't it it is because a lot of those people that I did find uh, back in that writing group I can just remember I could be struggling at college and they couldn't come in and they couldn't fix a lot of the things that were going on but they could be a friend and that was amazing just to have that support and to, to, to reach out for that and also just not to fall into the box because there really isn't a box and people wanted to fit me into like this little box for a long time. I can remember uh, right before I went to school, I had to get tested for a learning disability again. And my test results weren't that great. And a psychiatrist said, well, you're most likely not going to go beyond community college. And 
I had people that told me, well, your job choices are going to be limited. And then I had other ones when I was at school saying, well, those disability services give you an unfair advantage. And it was, I couldn't fit that narrow box. So I had to use creativity to get myself out of the box and think, well, how do I learn? How, what are the best programs? And not following the advice that a lot of people were giving. I mean, some of it was good. Some, there were some things that I did have people guide me on that there were definitely well worth following. But sometimes I, it was almost like, I felt like I had to teach myself sometimes how to do things. Well, that is so beautiful, Michelle. I know there's so many times I get shivers and it really <laughs> sticks out with me because it is about us, really. I think we're learning what mm-hmm. other people think of us and what other people are labeling us as young people going to school and even college with peers and teachers and professors, all of that. But we have to grow into ourselves, don't we, Michelle? Mm-hmm. We have to grow into be the person we want to be or the way we want to live our lives. And I think sometimes we're the only ones that can do that. We can have the support and encouragement, but it's like you, it's like, well, what do I like doing? What makes me feel better about myself? You know, where do I find that joy in my life? You know, the creativity allowed Mm -hmm. you to be able to express yourself, you know, how you felt, how you thought, how you see, Mm -hmm. you know, how you, your environment affects you, you know, and how you let it affect you. Because we can have a balance between both because we can feel like I don't fit in, but we can also have the balance in, but I fit in over here. Just because I don't fit in in this one place doesn't mean that, you know, I'm here on my own. I have to put myself forward into some place or somewhere or some group where they actually accept me for me. But you had to first accept yourself, didn't you, Michelle? I did. I had to accept myself for the the flaws And what I thought were flaws (laughs) and things that make me different, I had to accept that and to put myself out there. Um, And that was something too. You just, I couldn't expect other people to uh, accept me until I started to look at myself and say, okay, I might have this or I might have that and I might be different, but that's okay. And it's just, I found my tribe. I found the people that I'm with and I can go into a room and, especially now at my job. I, I work with students as a paraeducator and I can't do math. And I'm pretty open about that with my, my students and I'm open with the staff understands and I'm really blessed to have a great staff that, that knows that. And I can remember, I'll go to my, well, I go to my students and I'll tell them, okay, I can help you with reading. I can help you with your spelling words, but I can't help you with math. And a lot of them, they'll look at me and they're like, why can't you? And now sometimes I'll just say, well, that's just how God made me. Um, And I had another, I had a student that when I said that she was like, well, me too. And that was really validating. And then sometimes it's humorous. I was working in a first grade classroom and I was, the students were doing math and I ended up trying to help somebody and got got it wrong. And a little girl couldn't understand. I said, oh, I'm not very good at math. And she goes, well, why? And I said, I'm just, oh, I'm just not very good at that. And she goes, well, there's grown up school for that. And I just, oh, I love it. Responses are just so candid. But I I think sometimes that's important that as an adult, you go into the room and, and you do explain that, okay, there are things that I struggle with. And it's okay to have things that we're not always good at. And there's things that you are good at. And just showing that value is just, I think, very important. 
Mm, so important. Um, as you were saying that, I just thought about many educators now where they say, you know, I'm really good at this. I'm not great at that, but they still do their best. But I think mm -hmm. it is so important to, as a teacher or as a parent is to say to children, you know, we don't have to be good at everything. There are certain mm -hmm. things you could be really good at and to teach them that from a very young age. So they don't feel less than, you know, no matter what they are good at or not good at in their lives, because we can't all be good at the same things. I've accepted that and I'm 52 years of age and I know now what I'm mm -hmm. good at. You know what you're good at, Michelle. I'll still try new things. I'll give them a go. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But at least I say I have tried it. And I think that's a great example to give to the younger generation is saying, don't expect yourself to be perfect or to compare yourself with everybody else. Just be happy being you. But I suppose the being you, like in your case, was finding where the you, you as you, is really happy and can be yourself and be accepted for who you are. That is the most important lesson, I think, in life, isn't it, Michelle? It definitely is because I can remember wanting to be other people or wanting to be somebody else and having that competition. And when I finally laid that competition down and I became the person that I wanted to be and I found the things that I could do and I could find ways to do a lot of the things that maybe I struggle with and or in other ways and that just be being myself. And once I was that and wasn't trying to compete and be somebody else, that's when I also started to find a lot more happiness. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And then tell me about meeting your lovely husband. <laughs> I met my husband. Uh, it was totally unexpected. I was volunteering at our art center in our in our hometown. And I was walking down the street and he saw me when he was driving and he thought, oh, Who's that girl in that red dress? Where's she going? And he was surprised when it turns out that I was going to the art center and he was going there to play that night, guitar that night. And then when he got in, he found out that I had, he, we knew mutual friends and he's like, Oh, okay. And that's, he was in between jobs and he spent that summer at home um, where I live at and he just, uh, we, we got to know each other that, that, that summer. And everybody knew he liked me except for me. I think maybe I knew a little bit, but I didn't want to jinx it. <laughs> so I thought, okay, we'll, we'll have a good friendship. And I believe it was uh, Labor Day weekend um, here in the States at, that he was there. And he got enough courage to ask me for uh, my address, um, email address. And I'm like, okay, that, that's cool. And I thought, okay, he's probably not going to email me. I go back to school that week. <laughs> And there's an email from him and we just got to know each other. And around Thanksgiving, he uh, came back and he uh, emailed me and said, hey, do you want to go out for dinner? And but he had a job and he went back to where he lived at the day after I saw the email. And I I'm like, OK, he left his number. I said, Mom, should I call him? I was like, yeah, you should call him. And I called him and I said, are you going to be home for Christmas? And he said, yeah. And. Uh, December 23rd, we had our first date and how many years later, we're, we're still together. <laughs> oh, that is beautiful. And did you find it hard um, having relationships? You know, was it was it something because it, it's all everyone finds it hard, you know, meeting that yeah. person for the first time and all of that. But did you find it hard in particular ways for you, Michelle? Yes, definitely. I knew that it was going to be hard. In fact, I remember I, whenever I was doing my internship, I had a supervisor that said, you know, you may not find someone because 
you have a disability. And she was single. Um, a lot of it was by choice. And I thought, oh, that was one of my greatest fears. And sure enough, she was right. That did come true. I can remember I've had uh, guys that have said, well, I can't uh, deal with the, the fact that you have a disability. They were very uh, straight up and honest about that. And I can remember my ex breaking up with me saying, I think you could drive if you really wanted to. And I'm tired of taking you places. And so I really struggled with this identity of, okay, am I ever going to find someone that's going to love me for me? And I, I knew my husband was, was the one for me because on our first date, when I had told him I had a disability, a learning disability, he was the first person that said, well, how does that make you feel? And I was like, okay, he's a keeper. <laughs> oh, that is so beautiful. And what strikes me when you're telling the story, you're driving or you're walking down the road in your red <laughs> dress, looking amazing. And he's passing by going, where is she going? And that synchronicity for him to end up in the same place that you are, you know, that I think yeah. again, like that we are, I feel like the universe brings people into our lives, good and bad, to learn from and mm -hmm. grow from. And that, again, those choices that you both made, you know, that night and saying, oh, yeah, you know, and you go, sorry, you probably won't email me, you know, not believing that someone could be really interested in you and accepting and loving you for who you are. Was that a kind of a powerful reaffirming in your head also, Michelle, that, you know, somebody can accept me, but also love me you know, unconditionally almost for myself. Yes, that was definitely reaffirming the, to, to find that. And a lot of that was a prayer that I prayed. Um, I can remember right before he came into my life, maybe a year before or so, um, I was just tired of having my heart broken. I've had I had some really bad experience, relationships and some experiences. And I, and I just said, God, don't send me anybody until it's the right person. Oh. And I, I, yeah. And sure enough, the, the right person did come along and it was just getting to that point. And when I look now, when we look back on how uh, the universe works, there were places that we both were at at the same time before we even met. And it was like we were blinded from each other because we just weren't ready to, to be in that place mm -hmm. where we could have a relationship. And it's just so amazing to think back on that. <laughs> That is, I love that. That is such a beautiful, beautiful story and a beautiful memory. Thank you for sharing, Michelle. What are your plans for your future? But the plans for my future is to maintain my blog, Michelle's Mission. Definitely want to uh, get more disability articles out there. Um, it would be nice to, to get a book out uh, um, about my life and just my, my love for nature. That That's definitely a plan for the future. And uh, to just take many photographs and just to make uh, lots of uh, wonderful memories. Michelle, do you know what? It was such a joy speaking to you. And I think we have to stop seeing people, you know, and saying again, you know, focusing on their disability, but to foc uh, focus on their strengths, what they can mm -hmm. do. We always acknowledge that because it is part of who you are and it's part of your life. But again, to focus on the strengths so if there was a message that you could send out to parents that are listening or teachers or caregivers, you know, and they may have children in their homes, in their schools that are struggling, what would your advice be to them for those children? My advice for them would be not to give up on the child mm -hmm. and to focus on their strengths and, and what they are good at and just to keep on encouraging them 
to be able to find a way to be able to do it. That is beautiful. Michelle Steiner, thank you so much for your time and for your openness yeah. and your honesty. And there is a, just a beautiful energy coming from you. And I know that if you do finish this book soon, <laughs> that it will be a hit because there are so many people that need that awareness and they need the encouragement but they also need real life models you know role models in their lives to say this is a normal kid in <laughs> Pennsylvania and look what she has achieved in her life that you can do anything really if you focus on your strengths exactly definitely thank you so much for having me Sharon it's been a pleasure Oh, Michelle, absolutely. Thank you so much. So please do go and check out Michelle's blog, michellesmission.blog. And I'll also link her, um, her Instagram and Facebook links at the show notes. And we will look forward to hearing more about Michelle in the future. Michelle, thank you again. And thank, thank you, you to all of you for listening. And I look forward to connecting to you all again soon.